Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Welcome back to another You Love and You Learn podcast episode. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to bring you this episode. It's another interview with a past coaching client of mine. And I've just been so excited to get to have these conversations. A big reason why I'm having these conversations and sharing them on the podcast and why I'm so thankful to my clients for being willing to come on and share their stories is because I know how isolating it feels when you feel like you are just the only person who could be experiencing the same things. You don't hear directly from other people who are going through relationship anxiety or relationship OCD. And I want to peel back the curtains and share some of these stories. I know I already talk about my own journey a good amount, but I'm just one person and I really want you to see evidence of these other people's situations and that they're able to learn how to show up and respond in different ways. And that relationship OCD or relationship anxiety is not this sentence to be in a constant state of anxiety for the rest of your life. And I think that you'll find that with this interview with Christine, a client of mine, and I'm so grateful for her willingness to come on and share. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and let's get into it. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. So excited to have you. And I've been really just looking forward to giving people a chance to hear more about your story and the type of story that my coaching clients have because I know it can feel so isolating when you feel like everyone else is just in this like perfect relationship and no one could possibly understand what you're going through. So hearing these types of stories is just so meaningful and really excited to just expand on what we've already covered in coaching together. I love it. I'm so happy to do that. I think it's so important to share, you know, um, yeah, to build this community and to make people feel less, less alone in this experience. Definitely. So I think it will help for people listening to kind of like see some of the similarities in your story and theirs right from the get go. So can you kind of start off with sharing before you reached out to do coaching with me? Can you share a little bit more about like where you were at in your relationship or a little bit of the journey of like what led to you saying maybe I could use some support with this ROCD relationship anxiety I'm experiencing? Yes, I'm happy to. So I think, you know, reflecting now and like having the information that I have now, I think when I look back on my experience with relationship OCD, which I think I kind of identify more with the OCD flavor, like I feel more OCD than anxiety. That's just how I feel. But when I think about relationship OCD, I think to some degree, knowingly or unknowingly, I have dealt with it for the most of my life, (laughs) I'll say like the majority of my adult life. But I think it started probably like most of us, like so much earlier, like it started for me in in childhood and a lot of things that, you know, I was, um, that I experienced, you know, when I was growing up, I felt like I had a lot of divorce um, that was, uh, you know, in my family. And I felt, you know, like reflecting back, I think that had an impact on how, you know, I started to develop like fears around relationships. And that sort of led into like kind of a foundational thinking of like, you better pick the right person and the one or else, 
you know, you're going to end up in a divorce situation. And then on top of that, you know, like so many of us, the kind of Hollywood, you know, romance drug, like I grew up on all the rom-coms and like all the romantic stories and felt like I started to model my relationships after these kind of unrealistic romantic, you know, relationships. And so I think it sort of, sort of found a a foundation there. And then pivoting into my adult life, I look back and I can see signs of it from, you know, my first relationships. I feel like I, you know, ended relationships uh, soon or like ended relationships with potential or like stayed in relationships that didn't have potential and struggled in all the usual ways. Um, In my most like recent, like adult life, I would say like the kind of signs that I picked up on were like all the classic things like obsessive thinking and um, like ruminating thoughts and like waking up in the morning with that like sinking feeling of like I'm in the wrong relationship or I have to do something about this. I wasn't able to enjoy vacations. I feel like, you know, even I reflect and like there's so many happy memories, but like the other half of them were, you know, like stressful and like uncertainty. And so to answer your question more directly, I think what this kind of like was a buildup and it like kind of came to, I think maybe like a, a head when my husband and I, spoiler alert, we got married. <laughs> um, but when my husband and I were engaged and during that transition, I started to really experience like the full weight of like relationship OCD. And of course I like Googled and I was, you know, Googling like, should I marry him? <laughs> and Google's like, I don't know who he is. And like, you know, I <laughs> like, and so in that Googling process, that's when I discovered your account. And I, and which of course, you know, like fast forward, I'm so grateful for, but I, it took me a while. I, I just started to kind of recognize that like, this is a thing that people have and I'll, I'll pause after this, but I think like, that's kind of what led me to it is like, I think my whole life, like journey and then like becoming engaged and feeling like I didn't want to live like this. And I felt like, you know, I had made this commitment and choice to be with this, my husband, my partner and I was the one suffering with ROCD. Like I was never going to change or I felt like I was never going to actually do something about this because we're getting married, but I was suffering like Mm -hmm. internally. And so when I figured out that there was like a way, you know, or that you could do something about it, you know, through your account and like the women online, you know, men too, but people online saying they're experiencing this. I think that was what was like the game changer for me. Mm, yeah. And when you initially came across this information, did it feel like, oh, I really understand myself now? Like, I feel like this makes sense for me. Or was there any sort of questioning of like, oh, like, I don't know if this is actually a thing or not. Like, how did you feel when you initially came across the concept of ROCD? Yeah, it's funny to ask that now because I think I have so much more information. But when I think about where I was at the time, I think I still had so much like ROCD intensity that I almost felt like my ROCD convinced me that like I was just trying to convince myself Mm -hmm. that this is an okay relationship. But the truth is, he's not the one for you. And like, your, you know, Ryan Gosling is like out there, (laughs) you know? So I think like when I first stumbled upon the the information, I did have like judgment of myself. And I just thought like, well, but also like maybe like you could still be the person that like needs to leave your relationship or like, it's not Mm -hmm. the one, you know? So I think I wasn't as open-minded at the time. Yeah. And it's helpful, I think, to share that because that's a lot of people's story coming into coaching or they worry that like, you know, the big phrase right now is like, I'm gaslighting myself or like, you know, <laughs> things like that. And and like, how do I actually know that this is right or wrong? And that kind of feeds into a lot of 
the OCD or anxiety tendencies, which is needing to have certainty, needing that answer, um, and something that you've shared coming in and what we reflected on a lot in our time together was this sense of like, if I'm not the one worrying about my relationship or if I'm not the one like kind of doing something to fix it, then how will I know if I'm going to improve it? So it's like this constant desire of like, I need to be thinking about this. I need to have the answer and the answer needs to be 100% certain so that I make sure I'm kind of like doing the right thing. And then I can almost like make sure that my life will be happy, make sure that my life is rewarding, make sure that like it's all going to be okay. So can you share a little bit more about kind of like your own experience with that or what patterns you noticed as you entered not only like the coaching experience, but just how that was showing up for you in your life? Yeah, that one is still like somehow a little bit complicated for me. I think there's so many layers to it, but I think that like for me, it was a clear sign, like reflecting back of like OCD and like properly, um, or like, yeah, clinically, it was like a compulsion. Like, I think my anxiety or like my rumination of like obsessing over my relationship was the compulsion for me. It was like, kind of like, who am I without this? Like, I've, I just like, since I was 16, I felt like for my first relationship, um, and probably started long before that, as I've said, but I feel like it became this like main part of me. And like, you know, I was also, you know, like so many of us, like I kind of was victim to a lot of these thoughts, especially we put on women about like, you know, once you get married, you know, your life can start, you know, like, and I just always thought finding my partner was like the thing that kind of made me who I was almost, I almost feel like I'm like processing some of this right now. But like, (laughs) um, I think that there was a lot of it was just like, you know, habit and like coping, like I'm having these thoughts and like, you know, the rumination and the obsession, like felt like a, a solve or like, you know, the the thing that like made me feel better in the moment. And as I've said, also, like there's some element of grief too, of like realizing it's sort of like grief of like letting go of that part of yourself, but also grief in thinking, if I don't do something with this information that I feel like is like my intuition telling me something, then I'm like wasted all this time like all these 16 years of like, you know, obsessing over it. And so I think there was a lot, of course, through coaching, we talked about a lot of this. And I feel like I was just able to like unpack that and really see it for what it was, which was like OCD and like compulsive thinking and anxiety and not actually like true, true thoughts or like the truth. So yeah, I'll pause there. But that's kind of like, that's I think my how I would feel about that. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. It's so real. And I just know it's so common with other people's experiences. And I think too, like reminding anyone listening that usually our compulsive behaviors are distracting us from some sort of deeper feeling. And when I say deeper feeling, I don't mean like a deeper truth or like some deeper thing that you're discovering. It's more of like the feeling, like you said, of maybe grief or disappointment or maybe fear, Um, like fear that if I don't worry about this or figure it out, then like something bad will happen to me and, you know, my life won't be meaningful or I'll have settled and that means I'm a failure. It's like Mm -hmm. these are Mm -hmm. heavy fears or feelings that are usually surrounding our relationships. And, you know, for me, like we share that divorce is part of our family's experience. So the fear of, you know, do I go through that in the future? Like if I choose this person, like that's obviously 
a scary thought in some ways. Of course, we can shift our definition of what it means to get a divorce. Like it doesn't have to mean it's a failure and that like everything mm-hmm. is ruined in your life. But if that's how you're thinking about it, then it is going to bring up a lot of fear. And so I think that starting to parse out, like you said, and unpack, like, why am I acting this way? Or like, what is the thing that I'm trying to protect myself from? It can be really helpful. So you can bring a little bit more compassion to yourself and not being like, why am I thinking like this? But more so, ooh, okay, there's something in me that's just trying to stay safe and needs my love and compassion right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually just to add to that, or one thing that came up for me is I think about how some of these big life decisions, I mean, getting married and choosing your partner. Yeah. If if marriage is, is, is part of your, your journey, I feel like these are just natural. It's natural for humans and the human mind to like question or, you know, there, there's some like natural, normal level of, I think, I think that's healthy that everybody experiences because you're committing making such a huge decision and it's a life commitment. I think there's you know the whole idea of cold feet and whatever. I don't think that the people who experience cold feet are all of us that have relationship OCD or anxiety. I think there's probably like some normal level. But I think for me as a person with ROCD, I feel like it all felt more confusing and amplified in some ways. And it felt like that I was adding another layer of questioning of like, is this normal or is this like my relationship OCD or you know, so it was really difficult, I think, to like parse out those things. And like us, you know, this community of people that have that struggle with our OCD, I think it's like just an added layer of like the normal human experience, which can be really challenging. Mm, yeah, another great point. And, and that's something we did talk about kind of as a theme too, is like, I remember on our one of our final calls together of like, celebrating the fact that you were able to kind of parse out a little bit more like what is being influenced by ROCD and like common ROCD tendencies versus maybe what is more of like a real experience that anyone might have. And then there's kind (laughs) of like the difference. So you just kind of gave that example perfectly. It's like, okay, like questioning such a big life choice. Yeah. Like, okay, I can see how that would be quote, quote, normal or like understandable, but then those added layers on top, which is like, but is this okay? Am I doing something wrong? Should I be feeling mm-hmm. this way? Should I think this way? It's like the shame of it mm-hmm. can really carry such a big extra weight. And then it can make it really hard for you to just move forward because instead of moving forward and taking actions to like connect with your partner and like show up in a way that you feel good and safe with, it's almost like you stay stuck in this circle, which is why it's called a spiral almost is like you can envision literally the spiral just going back and forth, back mm-hmm. and forth and you're not actually moving forward you're just kind of staying in that same place yeah absolutely and we talked about this example um but i've you know seen this you know i've heard this or had this scenario happen a handful of times but i have friends who clearly don't have relationship ocd and they'll make comments about their relationships or you know a friend of mine said like right as she was about to get married she said like well i think i could have been with someone funnier and you know, but then the, the way that she dealt with it was like, I think I could have been with someone funnier. And then the next thought was, but you know, I've committed to this person and I'm, I've moved on. Like the mm-hmm. the speed at which she was able to like work through that thought is like an example of how, you know, my brain works so differently. And like people with the ROCD and the spiraling, it's like, I would have taken that thought and like spent weeks, you know, like breaking down my relationship and wondering like, you know, just obsessing over like, oh, he's not funny enough. Like, oh, I need to find someone funnier. And like, what does that say about me if I'm with a person that's not funny, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, just to see the example 
that really did help, especially as we were working together to notice those things more and to recognize like, Hey, this is actually a real thing that I'm experiencing. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is something that's unique. And, you know, I guess not that unique because there's a huge community of us (laughs) that exists, but uh, it's different, you know? As you're listening to this episode, if you're really resonating with some of the insights and aha moments that Christine is sharing and you want to learn how to show up in your relationship with more confidence, more groundedness, more peace, and more of an ability to respond to anxious moments in your relationship from a place of, I've got this, from a place of feeling empowered versus feeling like, relationship anxiety or RCD just happens to you and there's nothing you can do about it, then check out the show notes for more information about how to apply for private coaching. I'm now enrolling spaces for my private coaching program. It's a 12-week experience and together we will work on helping you become more confident in your relationship and learning how to not only appreciate your partner more and feel like you're really grateful for your relationship, but learn how to show up in the inevitable moments of anxiety so they no longer feel like they are running the show and in the driver's seat. Check out the show notes for the link to apply and for more information. What you just said was such an important piece that I want to come back to or like I want to elaborate on, I guess, and have people here is you said, what does that say about me if I'm with someone that isn't funny? And that is just such a common pattern amongst my clients. And I think a lot of people listening can probably relate, even though maybe it's happening at a subconscious level. So this is also really common with attraction or someone being the life of the party or someone being the funny, cool person or someone being super athletic. It's like if I'm with that type of person in our heads, subconsciously, we think that that means that we then are... I guess, more acceptable, more socially worthy, like, oh, I could get that type of person who's funny, charismatic, the life of the party. And so what we're doing, again, not on purpose, but we're basically analyzing our partner from a place of like, how does this affect me? Or how does this affect my social score? Um, To be kind of, you know, blunt about it, it's like, how does this affect how people think of me and my life? And so this is when we are unintentionally projecting our own insecurities, for lack of a better word, like onto this person. And so I just think it's really great that you brought that point in because I want people to know that like that's probably most likely what's happening every time you're kind of putting your partner through this like fine tooth comb of like, are they this enough? Are they that enough? The real question under that is like, am I enough of these things? Or like, can I be okay Mm -hmm. with accepting this person and knowing that like people might have their opinions of them, but like, I'm still choosing this person for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we did. We talked about that so much. I think one thing that came up for me is like, what for me, what it feels like is that I've kind of convinced myself and, you know, through my childhood and other and, and, ex, and experiencing ROCD, or I've been convinced, I should say, that like my partner is my identity. Like I don't have mm-hmm. my own identity. My identity is like who I'm with or like a major part of my identity is who I'm with. And maybe I'm jumping too far ahead, but I feel like some of the things that like one of the biggest like aha moments that I had with you is or, you know, not even just moments, but like kind of journeys or like things that we were able to unpack was that I, I'm taking away my own power to like be my own independent 
self, like by putting this on another person to be like, if, if my husband is, you know, the life of the party and like hilarious enough to be like a stand-up comedian or, you know, like, why doesn't he pursue, I, I don't know, like more promotions or become a director or whatever the things are. Like, it sort of says, it, it's like, I'm sort of projecting that, like, I can't be those things in some way, like if he's not, but the truth is like, I have full power over my life to like, you know, be ambitious and, you know, you know, be a stand up comedian if I wanted to be, I don't, but like <laughs> the, for me, it was like kind of breaking down that like belief or, you know, we talk about core beliefs a lot and like realizing that that's not a core belief of mine and like that I'm sort of overvaluing things that society and other people have told me to value. And it, it's like separating out what, what I really value and what I've been sort of influenced to value. That, yeah, that was kind of a big part of our conversations, I feel. Yeah, definitely. And some examples of this for someone listening is almost like, well, I want my partner to be more outdoorsy so that like I can go hiking more or like I want my partner <laughs> to be, you know, like someone who really likes to to travel so that like they can take the lead on planning more trips for us. And it's I understand it. I'm not saying like you should just be with someone who like has no shared interests at all or like how if you like don't have any overlap in like how you can, you know, spend time together. It, it can work obviously and people do that a lot, but I'm not saying like that's the goal, but I also think that at the same time, if you're waiting for your partner to be outdoorsy and then you're kind of saying, well, I can't go hiking unless my partner does, it's like, okay, well, like that's also not true either. So just knowing like there's community of people that go hiking probably in your area or maybe your friends want to, or you can even, if, as long as it's not dangerous, like go on a solo hike or bring your dog or whatever it is, right? I'm not saying again that like you can't enjoy these types of things with your partner but if you're not doing those things already and then you are wishing your partner was more like that so then they could influence you to do those things I would encourage you to start with the internal piece first and make sure that's something you actually enjoy and like want to do more of and then who knows like maybe because you're having so much fun doing it your partner may want to join in on the fun but I think sometimes we wait for our partner to always take the lead on things thinking that that's going to be the thing that makes us whole or complete or fulfilled and really we're just like you said earlier taking our own power away and kind of putting them up on this pedestal of influence. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously I totally relate to that. I think, you know, we've had some funny moments in our sessions, but one of the things I would say is like like I I want him to like go play tennis on the week. Like I want to go play tennis on the weekends and you could ask me like, "Do you play tennis?" <laughs> and I'm like, no, but that's not the point, you know, like, it's like, I don't play tennis because he doesn't play tennis. <laughs> and it just was like a funny moment of like realizing the small ways that I feel like I'm kind of looking to him to like be, be the happiness in my life or our relationship. And through our process, I feel like I've been able to like see it as more of an equal you know, uh, a give and take and, and more of like, you know, we both have the power to like influence the quality of our relationship. And in so many ways, I feel like, or like in so many instances, I feel like I've spent a lot of time like criticizing him or looking for at his faults or like seeing his fault. And he's just not the type of person in my case. I think we've talked about this with like you and Nate as well, where he's not the type of person to like nitpick me or like, you know, share his critiques or like, express like the faults that he sees in me and 
for whatever reason, lucky him, I'm like the type of person to vocalize, like you're doing this that bothers me. And like, this is not a quality, you know? But that was like a big realization moment that we talked about was like, oh, actually like he doesn't think I'm perfect either. Like, oh, he sees flaws in me. He sees faults. And it, it just was an interesting moment to recognize that like, I, like we're on the same page. Like we both have the same experience that our partners are flawed and imperfect to us um, or like not exactly the ideal partner, but we both choose to deal with it differently. And my, my choice or like my patterns have been like obsessed and nitpick and like go down the ROCD path. And his is like acceptance and you know, looking at like the relationship on the whole and me on the whole. And so mm. anyway, that was just, that was also just another interesting thing that I feel like we got into. Totally. Yeah. And two things in response to that. One is like, we could all learn a thing or two if you're listening and can relate to like that pattern in your relationship. It's such a awesome invitation and opportunity to learn from your partner of like, okay, like they're just kind of able to, you know, accept something and move forward. I'm not, again, it's not saying like, if you nitpick your partner, like sometimes like that, you're this horrible person, but it's more of like, okay, how can I learn from my partner? It's not that they think that we like have zero flaws, but they're probably just like, all right, like they did this thing. I don't need to hook into it too much. I can just move forward. And then second thing on a more personal level is that it doesn't happen often, but Nate did call me out on my shit yesterday for something because I have some stories of like, oh, he's so like this or he's so like that. And I there was something I said yesterday that was in this tone that was like a little bit too like, I think, condescending of like, oh, you should have done it this way. And he knew exactly why I was speaking to him like that. And he was like, I think you did that thing again where you were, you know, assuming that I'm not helping enough and blah, 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 when I just did all these things. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then it didn't feel great because obviously those of us with like relationship anxiety or OCD, I feel like we're a little bit more like sensitive or have more shame around like, I don't want to do anything wrong. So it didn't feel great. But after I got some space from it, I was like, I'm really glad that he kind of did say something to me then because it's it's nice to get, like get humbled sometimes and be like I also not from a place of self-judgment again but like just of oh I have my own stuff too and I just need to remember that like I'm imperfect my partner's imperfect and together we can you know navigate whatever's coming up I love that yeah I've had about a million of those I think we can all relate <laughs> and also you know to Nate's experience like all of us can understand like when we've done that or recognize that in our partners. But I think like, that's the, you know, like that's also why we choose to be in relationships is so that you have someone that can give you feedback and help you see these things in yourself. And that was actually another big thing that you brought up that I felt like I was able to uncover just through our sessions was like this idea of shame. You know, of course I've thought a lot about shame before and like Brene Brown and lots of things, <laughs> but I hadn't really realized in relationship, you know, disagreements, like when I feel like I'm in the wrong, I get particularly defensive. Of course, it's maybe a natural human thing, but also somehow I hadn't realized that like, you know, people with our, our OCD or like leaning towards relationship anxiety can feel that more intensely or like I hadn't really made that connection. And that was really helpful for me to see that like, wow, this is interesting. Like I... I felt like I was being defensive because uh, just by objectively defending myself, you know, like, oh, I'm not going to be a pushover or, or like accept this or, you know, I'm just standing up for myself and being a woman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, you know, being a, I felt like it was all coming from like the right place or a good place. And I realized only recently that I think a lot of it was coming up 
out of shame, like that I just couldn't accept that his feedback was valid or that I had done something that wasn't, I don't know, I hate to use like wrong or right, but like that I had done something that was, you know, not objectively good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because of course, you know, that all comes from like childhood and, and other places where um, you just feel like you want to do everything right and perfect. And like you, that's the bar. So yeah, I, I can totally relate. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And just for anyone listening to like a way I think to make this tangible, you know, you just gave a great example where you're like, oh, I needed to kind of pause and reflect like, why was I reacting this way? And so I just think for anyone listening, if you notice yourself getting extra defensive or like reacting really strongly to something in a conversation or in a discussion or with something in your relationship, if you can like get some space from it and try to see it a little bit more from an objective perspective of like, hmm, I wonder what's underneath that that's causing me to feel so defensive or feel so icky about this. Like, what stories am I telling myself about this situation or like, you know, what's right and wrong or what should or shouldn't happen? And how is that making me feel? And then if you can even go a layer deeper from a little bit of of a more grounded place, like after you've taken some time to pause, just be like, what else could be true about this situation that maybe isn't going to make me feel bad about it? Like, was it that I was just trying my best? Was it that like, I've always grown up, you know, with this story, whatever it is, like just flipping it a little bit so that you can bring a more kind and understanding lens to it and then try from a place of love to explain to your partner, like, I think this is what was happening so that you can take responsibility versus feeling like you just are avoiding acknowledging your role in the situation. I love it. You're here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Another topic that we had kind of talked about could be helpful to explore is that when you and I were coaching together, there was this kind of like lingering residual fear of like past relationships maybe being, oh, like could that have been a decision I should have made to be with this person or like, you know, is there other qualities from maybe a past thing that I had that like I should have leaned more into or it's like romanticizing some of the past people in your life and kind of the stories we tell ourselves like, oh, this could have been the one that got away or like, I don't know, like how this could have turned out differently. So can you share a little bit more about like what you learned from our experience during that or like maybe just what was going on for you when that happened? Yeah, absolutely. As you know, you know, that was like a big part of what I realized was like at the moment when I realized that I was having like a, you know, kind of intense or like peak relationship OCE was that I had these like obsessive ruminating thoughts about a past relationship. And there's so much that we can like get into here. And I think there's many layers. Something I said earlier, which I think is like the foundation of it is like, I think there is always this like human element of like, even, you know, anybody that (laughs) not just people with RSD, that I think it's natural to think like, what if, or, you know, the, the truth of the matter for every human experience is that you could be leading a different life. There is like always another path you could have taken, not just with relationships, but different jobs and places you live. And so I think there was like a foundation of grief that goes with that. And we've talked about that. And so I think there was like some, like some of it is wrapped up in that or like a lot of like the obsessiveness about like a past relationship was that for me, it was also like a layer of kind of what we were touching on before, which was like what you think your life should be and like the qualities in a person that you in your partner that you should have. So like things that I felt like I would objectively value 
previously, like kind of before I really started to break down, like, what do I really believe? And what, what are the things that I value as a person in, in a relationship were, you know, objective things like just, just like what you see as evidence of like raw ambition of like high success or high, like career success, objectively speaking, like that, that looks at like so many different things, but essentially like not to get too into the details, but I feel like this individual was also this person that like ended up manifesting these qualities that I felt like, oh, that's the person I should be with. And the person that I chose to be with is not exactly this like list that I had created in my head. Right. And so if we break that down further, of course, you could say like this person that I'm like idealizing and romanticizing doesn't really exist. Like, I don't even really know who this person is. Like, these are just like a handful of qualities about this person that like, I'm just looking at the positives, right? Like I'm only looking at these couple of things and I don't really know who this person is anymore. And conversely, like I'm doing the opposite with my husband or like at the time my fiance that I'm looking at his faults and I'm stacking those against like the best things about this person that I used to be with. And so what you and I were able to really work through was basically that. I mean, that was kind of like you, you were the one who offered that to me, like the, the sort of like, you're taking like the best qualities of this person that you were with and like worst qualities of your, you know, current partner. And like, of course, who's going to lose in that your brain, you know, there's going to be a clear winner. Right. And so I think there was a lot of like that going on. and. Yeah, I think I, I think there's more to say on that. I've um but I think that was kind of the the like high level and the other oh the other piece of it that I feel like you and I really got into was being able to acknowledge like overall what you're doing in your brain is like what if my life would be better, right? Like what if I was with that person like I'm I'd be happier. And like hold like your your kind of offering was like holding space for like the maybe, like maybe my life would be happier, but maybe not. (laughs) And so I think like that was a big game changer for me was just thinking, you know, I am so fixated on like, I'm so sure that that would be better. But the truth is like, maybe, like maybe it would be better. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) So that was like a big, a big um, win for me and us working through that. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing it. It's just so helpful to normalize this for people of like, you know, looking back at, like you said, it doesn't have to be just a partner, but like, what if I had moved here? What if I had taken this job? Or what if I hadn't, you know, ended things with this person? Like, there's so many different trails of thought that we can go into. But what it's really doing is taking us out of responsibility for what's happening in the present and puts us in this kind of what if fantasy situation that is actually not in any way in our control. And I mean, fantasy is a part of life, right? Like, that's why we all like books and rom-coms and movies. Like, it takes us to this other world, but it's not necessarily what's happening in real time, right? So it's like we can have a, a mix of that, like going into that like fantasy escape place, but knowing that it is an escape from the present and it's not really helping you tangibly move forward. So not having shame over it, but just knowing like, oh, okay, I'm kind of in this make-believe space of like imagining that life did work out in this way when it's like that isn't actually what happened. And there's two, like one book and one movie that people I think might enjoy if this comes up for them. The first is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. It's really, really good. It just talks about like envisioning yourself in different alternate lives and how it could look and how the difference could show up. So I really recommend that one. And then a movie on Netflix called Look Both Ways, which I think you've also seen, Christine, where there's someone who does have a split 
like they show you the split life of if this decision had gone this way or this experience had gone this way, like what would life look like? And both of the book and the movie, I think, have a really positive message that helps bring you back to more of a focus on like, how can I show up for my life versus all these other lives that could be out there? So just sharing those for people if they would like to check it out. I love it. I um, just got mine in the mail. <laughs> I told you I love to buy books. I'm like, the reading part is like, you know, kind of hit and miss, but um, <laughs> I love to purchase them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I think what could be helpful, you know, firstly, thank you for going over those themes of kind of our work together. I think it's just going to be really insightful for those listening and kind of give people a sense of like what types of stuff we can cover in the private coaching experience. But I'd love to hear, and this is kind of a vague question, but you know, what just comes top of mind of like some of the new beliefs or practices that have helped you address some of those themes? Like what are either things you're telling yourself now or like habits or practices when moments of OCD pop up that might look different than four or five months ago when we first worked together? Yeah, that is such a good question. I actually didn't like think totally about, I I thought about it kind of in a different way. I guess I'll, I'll say that like, I'll start with just like how I feel different in the moment and maybe like what will come out of it is like how I've been able to do that. But I I think for me, like coaching was like the before and after was just, it's such a stark difference. And I think previously I mentioned this before, I think I felt like I just needed to accept like this state of suffering. Right. And like, I needed to just like, this is just going to be how my brain is and how my brain works. And I'm going to have to just deal with this. And I think there was like this big fear around like, is this, this is how I'm going to live for the rest of my life. And I think I, you know, I'm not totally, I still have these moments of ROCD, of course, and like things come up, but I think post coaching, it's just like night and day. I feel like I've now, I just have so much more peace in my daily life. And I feel like I'm able when the moments come up, come up, I'm able to treat them neutrally rather than like allow them to kind of like carry me away. I'm sure like most folks that are listening can like relate to, you know, you're kind of looking for everything, like a sign and everything, right? Like for Instagram post or like something that someone says, or like shares an opinion. And like in, uh, for example, like someone recently said to me, like, you know, oh, your husband's like an introvert. Like, I didn't know that extroverts and introverts could be married. <laughs> and I thought about myself four months ago and how I would have like really gotten carried away with that thought and been really ruminating on like, you know, this person's opinion is right and like really attached to that and like obsessed and, you know, been conflicted. And now I feel like after coaching, I think, you know, I hear something like that. And of course I noticed it, right? Cause I'm bringing it up here, but I, I didn't allow myself to like give any weight to it or like attach to it. Right. Like I just sort of allowed it to be there. And like, I observed the thought and this is like one of the things that you like, one of the tools that you gave me was being able to recognize and kind of label it as an unhelpful thought or a thought that came up, right. Like, accept that like this thought arose in your mind and need it. And I think I'm forget I'm forgetting like the, the sort of like steps exactly, but the like what happens is I'm able to just acknowledge that that's a thought and then label it as like oh that's you know like the next thought after that it was unhelpful for me 
And so I was able to say that was unhelpful and like kind of end the spiral there rather than like previously what I felt like would happen is like, I would just allow these constantly repeating unhelpful thoughts to occur. And then it would lead to like, you know, being dysregulated and feeling very anxious and like sick to my stomach and days of overthinking. Yeah. And so I think that was kind of, I have more to say on that, but I'll pause for a second in case you wanted to say something. Yeah, I love that specific tangible example. And Nate and I are introvert, extrovert. I'm the extrovert as well. So it's it's funny even hearing that because I'm just like, where did that person get that idea? <laughs> like, but um I know I think that ex- specific example is like really helpful because I'm sure that happens all the time. Or like people see some random TikTok that's like, oh, these five things mean you can't be together. And it's like, oh my God, like what do you mean? But what <laughs> you basically explained is like you were able to not assign meaning to that event. And that's so important because the meaning that we do or don't assign to something has so much power over us. And you can think about this in a non-relationship way too. Like if your boss sends you a short email, like, okay, thank you. It's like, you can have a meaning that's like, oh my God, they're so mad at me. Like I must've done something wrong. Or you can be like, they're having a bad day. It's like, The meaning that you give to that has a huge weight on how you show up next. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of times with the ROCD or anxious mind, we are like, well, the negative meaning must be the correct interpretation. It's like we think that if we Mm -hmm. don't jump to the protective thought or the worried voice, then like we're missing something when it's like, no, like that was just one person's opinion and I don't need to explore that more. And it's not actually going to help me, like you said, to go down that rabbit hole because there is no right answer to that it's like there's no measuring book of who can be in a marriage or relationship together right no I know and I that's so yeah that's something that like previously would really make me like that would really send me into you know spirals and like send me spinning is like what yeah like just just what other people's projections are of what the right relationship is or what qualities in the right partnership are and you know, I think that's one of the biggest like key noticeable differences is that I don't get carried away with these types of external factors or influences, you know, like the, the comments and the posts. And sometimes I do, I feel like sometimes I'm still in a state, right? Like I'm a work in progress for sure. But I feel like it was so much more intense before you and I worked together and I had tools, you know, to really like deal with this. And it kind of comes back to what I was saying before is that I actually just felt like this wasn't solvable. And this was just like my own experience. And this was going to be my life journey. And I was always going to have doubts. And I feel really grateful that like, I'm see a path now. And I see like a light at the end of the tunnel. And like that I, I not only get to stay in my relationship that I love, but also I get to reduce the amount of like, kind of unnecessary suffering that I experience um, along the way and like, just be more present and enjoy my life. Yeah. And worth mentioning, you kind of said this in your beginning of the response of like how you've shown up differently after coaching is that you said, like, I still have my moments or like, I still have moments of ROCD pop up. And I just want to acknowledge that that's like, so okay. And I think people unintentionally are like, all right, what's like the six week 
solution to like ridding myself of anxiety, right? It's like one of the first things I talk about in my client sessions with people is like, this is a practice. This is not like one and done. This is you learning to show up for yourself and respond differently to the anxiety, but it's not a cure-all. Like we're still all human. We're still going to have fears. We're still going to have things that send us into like questioning and, you know, being like, oh, like that caught me off guard today. Like I've had Mm -hmm. a week where I've had my own stuff of like, oh, I don't feel confident in my business or my relationship this week compared to last week, but last week I was. So it's like, there's going to always be those ebbs and flows. And what I think you said so beautifully is like, now I feel like I can actually do something about it. Or now I feel like I'm not stuck and feeling like this is just Mm going to happen to me for the rest of my life, because that makes you feel so helpless. It's like, this is happening to me. I have no control. Whereas Mm -hmm. now, or what I hope most of my clients feel and how I feel differently is like, okay, like this thing may still pop up every now and again, but the way I respond to it is so different. And so I feel like I'm back in the driver's seat of my life versus all of this input coming in and then me feeling completely helpless and out of control. Right. Yeah. No, it it has like, you know, I was thinking about like, if you asked me, you know, how has like coaching changed my life? And I, I feel like it's, it's everything. It's like, it's not just like the relationship piece is like one example or like one lane. And that was the focus, of course, of like what we really talked about and thought about. But you and I talked about this, that it like affects like everything in, in your, in your life, you know, like how I show up at work and how I show up in my family relationships and other relationships. I mean, it was just, it's just so yeah, liberating to feel like you have this like power over, you know, how you operate in life. Hmm. Yeah, I love that that was your experience. And I'll say it now and I'll say it probably a million more times, like relationship anxiety or RCD is not just about the relationships. It's like how you operate as a person, like your general operating system, the way you view the world just so happened to hook into your relationship. But like, those patterns, if they weren't focused on your relationship, they would probably be focused on your job or your health or your friendships. And I know that's a really common pattern amongst my clients is like right now, like my anxiety is hooking into this, but I've also had experiences in the past where it was hooking into this. So just knowing that it's okay if relationships are a sticky point for you. And it probably just means that you care deeply about the relationship or relationships in general. And so you really don't want to quote, quote, get it wrong. And so your anxiety or OCD is just kind of latching onto that. So thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Amazing. Well, before I ask you my final question that I ask all of my guests, is there anything else either in your story or like in the experience over the last like four to five months together that you feel like is worth mentioning in the conversation? Well, it's my personality to like, when I have a podium, I got to say something, right? Um, <laughs> no, but I, I will say that I think, you know, I think I was not expecting to feel like I have a sort of like newfound appreciation for my partner in this process. Like, I think I thought that it was going to be very focused on like me. And it, it, I mean, it was like, it was very focused on me and like reframing how I believe like my core beliefs. But back to your question before, I feel like somehow I was able to really like get down to what I was able to actually uh, understand my core beliefs and like communicate them, articulate them on paper and think them and like kind of manifest them and break down like what I thought were these core beliefs that were actually like not there for me, which were really tied to like superficial, you know, influences and like external factors and, and all of this, you know, everything else. And 
like the result of that has been, you know, being able to really like appreciate my partner and feel very grateful for him and his qualities and like the things that he does bring to the table. And like, you know, I'll just say that he also, I know, and this is not the case for everyone because this would, I think, take a unique person, but something you and I have related about, about like me and, and my husband are, they are accepting of the ROCD and like have been a soft landing for us to experience this and work through this. And I just want to say, I think that's, you know, lovely about my person and probably the main reason why I've been able to unpack this is like having a partner who is accepting and like helping me on the journey. And like some of that, I kind of came to the realization and working with you. And so ultimately I feel like I just got this like huge, like new lease on my relationship and like newfound appreciation for it, which I, I wasn't mm. expecting. So I'll say that that was like a huge, a huge win. Mm, I love it. That's so important. And yeah, very appreciative of the ways that Nate has responded. Not to say that you can't be in a relationship with someone who doesn't respond in that way, but it is, like you said, really nice to have that soft landing sometimes, especially when you're kind of up in this area and it's like, wait, (laughs) let me come back down to the ground for a second. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, we could talk about this forever and ever, but I, I do think it's like, you know, it, it just like you, you start to really like look at the qualities of your person. And when you, when you stop only focusing on the the top three worst things, <laughs> you really start to see all this other great stuff. And like, and it's amazing to kind of like, when you really start to play out like, well, what if I could be with that guy? But you know, Ryan Gosling is probably not going to bring me coffee in bed in the morning, you know, like he just <laughs> probably, he just probably won't. So <laughs> I feel like it's, yeah. Anyway, I'll, 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 I'll in there. I love it. Yeah. We definitely could talk for hours, but let's leave listeners, you know, the final question of my podcast, which is what is one thing that you have learned about love that you would want to leave listeners with? I know we've covered a lot already, but whatever comes top of mind. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I actually didn't prepare a response to this, like shame on me, but I feel like the first thing that came up for me is I feel like love is kind of what you make it. And I think love comes from you, you know? And I think that's what I've kind of, that is so not like I, that's the first time I've ever said that, but (laughs) I feel like that's kind of like, I'm speaking from the heart that I, I think, yeah, I, I feel like love is a choice in a lot of ways. And I feel like we have a lot more power than we think over who we love and how we love and, and all that. So that's what I think I'm want to put out there. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful. That's why I didn't have you prepare it before because I wanted to hear Ah. from the heart. So I think that was perfect. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Christine. And I really just appreciate you being willing to come on and share your story. And I know it's going to help so many people. So thanks so much. And um, thanks everybody for listening and see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message and it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media and the more ratings and reviews that are there 
the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.